When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Uh, let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only Mr. Justin Gorini. Hey, it's so nice to be here, David. Thank you for having me. What is going on with you? How are you? Whew, man, that is a loaded question. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but there's been a huge global pandemic and uh, much of the things that have happened behind the velvet rope have stopped happening or only happening in, in very small uh, uh, increments. And so it has been a very interesting year for me of learning a lot about myself, making some huge pivots in my personal life and in my professional life. And now uh, I am actually excited for what it is that I'm doing, which we'll get into, but I I'm excited for that light at the end of the tunnel, fourth quarter, 2021, when it seems like Broadway is going to open up again, the entertainment industry, live events are going to open up again. So there's a lot coming down the pipeline. Uh, yes, yes, and yes. There's so much in that statement that you just said. So first of all, yes, we are going to get into everything that you're currently doing, because I would like to hear all about it. Yeah, sure. Where are you in the world first? Like, are, are you oh in New goodness. York? Yeah, you know what? I'm actually not too far outside of New York in Pennsylvania. And so what I do is I like having a backyard and a house with space. And so my wife, three kids, two dogs, and I live in a beautiful little town in Pennsylvania. And I just hop on the train and commute in and out of New York whenever I'm doing theatrical productions. That is, I mean, I am here in Chelsea. So do you yeah. miss your time in New York? Because I know you were in New York. Yeah. I do. I always do. I am definitely a, a New Yorker at heart, and I just love the access to so many different stores, foods, like all kinds of different stuff. The culture there, uh, I miss. I love my little town. It's great. But, you know, if I want like Greek one night and, uh, you know, uh, Southern comfort or something the next night, whatever that is, you know, it's so much easier to get it in New York. It, but, you know, the. The interesting thing is, is that I haven't been to New York since probably March of last year when the musical that I was rehearsing for that was supposed to go to Broadway got shut down. And so much has changed in New York. And I'm so excited to get back and to be just one of the souls who breathe life back into New York City uh, and and just guide it back to a place where um, it can really thrive again like it used to. We need it. I mean, you know, it feels semi-normal now, if there's mm. such a word compared to a year ago. I mean, not not sure. semi-normal. But, yes. you know, that's why I stayed. Because even like you said, with the foods, like even during the pandemic, 
you could still get your Indian at like 3 a.m. if you wanted yes. delivered to your front door. Like so delivery true. was still happening. So. Yeah. And you know what's really interesting and uh, just gotten slightly cheaper to live there. You know what I mean? And so it's so interesting. Both like California and New York, people left in such huge droves and it made such a, like where I am, the housing market went insane. People yeah. were paying and, and making like, there was like at times 20, 30 offers on just one house alone. And it was just a huge bidding war. And so before everyone comes to their senses, it would be fun to look for another place inside Manhattan because I love it. I love being there. I love that you said a little bit cheaper. That is true. I was talking to a real estate broker yesterday. I'm like, it's a little bit like, yeah. let's not yeah. get crazy people. Which is a lot for New York. You yes. know what I mean? Like I, I am old enough to remember the first Superman and watching that. And like Lois Lane had like the penthouse. She was a reporter, mind you, at the Daily Planet. And she had the penthouse in New York in the 80s, which is like something you could do in the 80s because of the state of New York. But like, it's just so interesting to see how the prices have gone up and how they dipped so significantly. Um, and I'm interested to see uh, how and when they, they come back to some sort of sense of normalcy. Yeah, and to your point, I have friends in Connecticut, like Farah, and they're like, no, it's like 99% New York City plates driving yeah. around in our town these days. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, speaking of being old enough, I mean, when I was preparing for this chat and I looked back, I was shocked that it's been like almost 20 years since you're like, right? Since I you know. were on Idol. And Is I was it like, wild. It, what? It just feels like another lifetime. It feels like, and it was. I think I've had at least two lifetimes since then because I'm 42 now. I was 22 when I was thrust into the spotlight in front of 30 million live viewers every single week. And I think the thing that really made that possible for me, the foundation of my success on that show was ignorance. <laughs> Just not really grasping that like, oh my goodness, there are 30 million, because how do you quantify 30 million people in your brain? Like 3,000, yeah, you can think of that, right? In a, in a room, right? Uh, 30,000, maybe in a huge stadium, like if you've ever been to like a major sporting event, but 30 million, it's just a number. And so I think ignorance was a huge part of my success. And now that I'm older, I look back and I shake my head. I'm like, how did I do that? Do you think that ignorance, you know, because we didn't know what Idol was at that time. Mm -hmm. So like, do you think that ignorance was that part of you applying? Because like, I know that you had a role to star in sure. The Lion King or a huge yeah. part in The Lion King yes. and an independent record possible yeah. deal, which you couldn't yeah. pursue if you went to Idol. So I guess why, why Justin, like how, like how was this build to you, you know, when you went to try out, like how was it? Yeah. Presented? Well, I, I think just, uh, just doing what we do as entertainers, as performers, which is following our passion, right? There's a reason why, and there's nothing wrong with a desk job, but there's a reason why we do everything we can to not have that nine to five sort of job. Now, people have that, it's wonderful, it's lovely, but I think we're wired just differently. And while we can do temp work, <laughs> as one of the characters in uh, the last Broadway show I was in, in transit did in order to make it by, it's never something that we're just like, I'm going to settle for that nine to five, I'm going to continue to follow my passions. And I'm going to listen to this voice that guides me that says, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. 
And that really was it. I was sitting in my car uh, waiting to go to work. I was at the time uh, working for a DJ and a wedding company. And uh, I was doing like bar and bat mitzvahs every single weekend. And it was the greatest job. Say what you will. But it was the greatest like jobby job I have ever had in my life because I got to sing, I got to dance, I got to act, I got to dance with Bobola, I got to entertain the kids and like 13 year olds. If you've ever tried to just keep up with 13 year olds, much less entertain them and keep them away from the parents who have paid $30,000 for them to be there. Um, it, it is one of the most difficult audiences you'll ever have to entertain. And so it was the perfect proving ground for what I went to go and do uh, later on in my life. So I'm sitting in the car waiting to go uh, into the building, into my work, and I get this call. And you know, in the industry, we, we have that joke. It's like, oh, excuse me, hey, Broadway's calling. And literally Broadway was calling. Um, Jay Bender, who cast The Lion King, called me up and said, hey, Justin, we finally have this role for you. We know you've been auditioning for like years and years and years for this. I was in master classes. I did everything, put on the dang hat and the grass and the whatever, the, the skirt and all that to get on the stage. I did everything and they said, we want you, but it's not quite the right time. And then boom, fast forward to where I'm talking about now. It was the time, Jay Bender's like, we got this role for you, let's do it. You can start, it's gonna be your Broadway debut. And I said to him, well, there's a show. Um, I gotta go out to LA. Um, I, I might get cut. Can I call you back in a week? Now, look, ignorance that we were talking about. I got handed a yellow piece of paper, told it was golden ticket, and informed that I was just flying to LA. Right, a free trip to California. That's all I knew it was. I mean, Simon, Paula, and Randy were like, "Yes, you're going to Hollywood." I was like, "Okay, great. That's it." Who knew what that was other than a free trip to LA? And so, fast forward after that phone call to being at the Pasadena Civic Center in LA. And I am walking down the aisle about maybe three or four days into the Hollywood experience. And Hollywood week is exactly what it looks like. It is that time where they run you ragged on purpose. And to their credit, they tell you, they're like, we're going to stretch you to see if you can handle this because they know that they don't want some joker up on the stage in front of X amount of millions of people on the live show falling apart, right? Yeah. Not good for their brand. So they run you through the ringer. And I was tired. I was up against this decision that I had to make because the time had come for me to call Jay Bender to call Broadway and make a choice to say either I'm going to go with my Broadway debut or I'm going to go with a show no one's ever heard of. And so I walk into the Pasadena Civic Center Auditorium. And if you've ever been into an old church, you know how you can smell the wood, you can uh -huh. smell the age? Well, that's what this place was like. Red velvet covered chairs, beautiful theater. I walk in, I look up at the stage, the smoke effects are there, the lights are there, the big American Idol sign, the boom cameras on the jibs and everything. The dais where the three judges sit was there. I saw the scene before me. I look over to my compatriots who are all sitting in the, the chairs, just as tired as I am, just as passionate as I am, hoping against hope that they're going to make it. And I was faced with this fork in the road. And in that moment, I literally started just bawling. Now I was 22. I'm like Not, ready to cry. I have like right, goosebumps. Well, you know what I mean? But like, but, but I was like, 22 years old dude not prone to crying a lot at things and i've since changed with my wife and my three kids and my two dogs right like gotten older and more open but like 
whoo, it hit me. And I, I remember just being like, <laughs> and like trying to like wipe away my tears and hide my face so no one would see and, and think that I was losing it. And what I realized that I didn't necessarily realize at the time, but looking back on it, I recognized that when I looked up at that stage, that was the same stage that at the 50th anniversary of Motown, Michael Jackson, for the very first time, did the moonwalk on that stage and changed the world. On that stage, there were so many people that I knew I loved, that had influenced my life, that I had memories surrounded by their music and the shows that had performed on that stage. And that was the same stage that I was performing on. That was the same stage that I was getting to stand up and, and do what it was that I, at eight years of age, said, this is what I want to do. And if you'll just forgive me, I know I'm talking a lot. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm like on the edge of my seat. Uh, like. Okay, good, good. I just always want to make sure. No, no, no. So, so at eight years of age, now keep in mind, I'm, I'm 22 at the time, and I'm looking up at the stage where Michael Jackson first did the moonwalk at the 50th anniversary of Motown. Now, at eight years of age, I was in Atlanta. My father was a police officer in uh, the Atlanta police force who would later go on to be chief. And yet at this point, he was... Uh, head of security at the stadium, the Atlanta Fulton County Stadium that no longer exists, where the Jackson Five were coming through on tour on their victory tour in like 1986, something like that. And so not only was the head of security, but, and there's a whole backstory that I won't go into, but my dad just, and my mom, we, I grew up around a whole bunch of entertainers and in entertainment and all that. And so he knew the Jacksons. And so I got great seats. And so I remember at eight years of old age, being in the audience, looking up at the stage, seeing the lights, seeing the smoke effects, seeing the beautiful costumes, hearing the music, feeling the bass thumping in my chest, hearing the roar of the crowd around me, all the things that we love and miss about live performance, right? And I said to no one in particular, as I pointed to the stage, I said, I want to do that. I said it to myself. I want to do that. And at that point, I opened up a loop. And then years go by, years go by, years go by. And here I was standing at 22 years of age, having to make this huge decision to go with a show that nobody had ever heard of before called American Idol. Maybe I'd get cut that day. Maybe I'd get cut the next day. Or to say yes to one of the most amazing shows that has ever graced the Broadway stage, The Lion King, knowing that I had worked for years to try and beyond the Broadway stage, period, much less in a show that is so gorgeous. And in that moment, there was just a voice that said to me, go with this, where you are here right now. I don't, I, again, it sounds like a, a fairy tale, but it really truly happened to me. And I called up Jay Binder and I said, thank you so very much. This has been a dream for me to be on Broadway, but I, I just, I, I'm gonna go with this other show. I just really, there's something that's just, I, I've, I have to go with this other show. And so I said, thank you, please keep me in mind for the future. And, the, and the, that was where the decision was made. And the bow on this whole story is that 10 years later, I would go back to the East Coast. I would go back to literally living in New York. And I would go back to my very first love, which was Broadway, which was the theater. And I would get a role in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which was my very first Broadway show with the who's who of musical theater. And we had our opening night party 
in the very same hotel in Times Square, in the very same conference room inside that hotel where I sat for hours on the first day I auditioned for American Idol. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Wow. Yeah. And so it all came full circle. Did I mean, he must have thought you were crazy when you said no to the Lion King and other people <laughs> in your life must have thought you were insane. Yeah, I thought I was insane. But there was that moment that just we, we have those moments in our lives. Maybe it's once, maybe it's a couple of times, but there was just that moment where I yielded. I listened to that voice. I, I would call it God, but I listened to that voice. You call it whatever you will that said, do this. And I did not fight it. I just, I just said, okay, I trust. Which I is amazing in the sense that like, not even if you got cut, even if you didn't get cut and you went on to win or whatever. I mean, if three people watch this unknown show, I mean, how many shows are scrapped on a daily basis? Yes. And get canceled after one episode or yeah. get filmed and they're like, thank you for the past nine weeks. This won't be on ABC. It won't be on. Right. It won't be anywhere. Right. This is on the cutting room floor. Absolutely. But, you know, when you leap and you do it with faith and you've done the work and you're kind and the, the net will appear. Right. It's like even uh, uh, Seinfeld. Right. The Seinfeld show. They wanted to move it. To, it was it was on and it was doing okay and then they wanted to move it to another day they wanted to do all this other stuff and jerry and um larry david they just oh they're like oh this is dead this is never gonna work oh well and now look at it i mean it went off the air the last show had what 70 million viewers or something like that yeah so you never ever know but as long as you can just move forward in faith and do good work it comes back around this business is cyclical, cyclical like that did you know, like, at what point did you know, like, was it being in that state, seeing that huge, because really, or was it like a Paula Abdul? Because at that point, nobody knows who Simon is. Nobody knows who Randy is. Nobody no. knows who Seacrest is. No. We know who Paula is. Right. Yeah. Forever I mean, girl. Was, she is literally forever our girl. Right. Gets There's, better with age, like, literally. <laughs> I mean, we're going to talk about Miss Paula, because uh, I, like... But, like, you know, did you, I mean, did you know, like, is that why you said, or it wasn't that... No, like you just you didn't have the sense of like, oh, this no. is something. This will be a huge TV show. Absolutely nothing not. like that. No, it, it because it was so brand new. I didn't know. I just trusted. That was it. And sometimes that can be the most difficult choice <laughs> to make is the one where you're like, this doesn't make any sense. But everything in every fiber of my being is saying, go with this. And so I just 
listened and that was something because I don't know how well I listened at 22. <laughs> you know, I thought I knew, I, know, I thought I knew a lot as many of us do at 22 years of age. And, and yet I just yielded and I listened and, and it made all the difference. And then it, you're doing it and it's live and then 30 million people are watching and then you're like, holy shit. But I guess you never yeah. really took that in of like 30 million people are literally watching me. You know what? We were so, well, I can't speak for everybody, but certainly me. I was so nose to the grindstone. It is a daily like 7 a.m. to like 7 p.m. slog to do that kind of show because you think, okay, your week has press. Your week has, at least at the time we had to shoot, you know, Ford Focus commercials. Your week has uh, learning material, picking that material out, learning choreography, picking out the clothes that you're It's like every single day, just like any other uh, a TV show, right? You know, I, I did um, an episodes of Wizards of Waverly Place you know, a long time ago on Disney. And, you know, it's just like I got there at seven o'clock in the morning and I didn't start filming until darn near 6 p.m. Right, because it just takes forever to put together a show that you're doing on a daily or weekly basis even. Right, so you're so in it and you're exhausted and you're yes. just like, I can't, I'm not worried about 30 million people, I'm just worried about myself because like, I don't know what day it is and I do kind of want to go far in this thing and. Yeah, that's it. You can only, you can only just look a couple of steps ahead. If you try and look too far ahead, you you lose the moment, especially in in shows that are all about you know, live television shows that are all about what you are doing in the moment. So it's just all the preparation, literally all the preparation is to just let go in the moment, right? Which anybody who's been on a live stage, especially our folks in theater will know. We work, we work, we work, we work, we work, we learn, we learn, we learn, we learn. And then we just have, we let it all go and we just execute. Yeah. And, and it becomes, it becomes this thing that's, sort of effortless, right? And that's the, that's like the, the, the secret sauce. And that's, I think what gets certainly me hooked on live theater because I can just let go. And what happens happens. And I discover new things every single time I step out on the stage. Yeah. I figure out the things that work and I, I, I hit my beats and I hit my marks, but there is this process when you have done the work and prepared yourself when you can just let go and embrace and again listen to that voice and and as we learn to do in class be reactive right and react and respond to the moment no matter what happens because you have that trust in the foundation of the work that you've done that makes sense to me what about so how were the judges randy simon paula you know they were great really because it was the first show because the first season we had what would be not unprecedented because there was obviously no precedent, but like we had access to one. We all were making this show together. I'll never forget sitting in a like Chili's two or Chili's to go in LAX. And it's literally like me, Kelly, and a couple of the other contestants who were left and Simon, Paula and Randy, like literally eating Southwestern egg rolls, <laughs> like Chili's to go in LAX, like just chatting it up. Um, because it, it, on our way to a flight to do something somewhere, I can't even remember what it was. But that's it was a family affair because we were all, including the producers, we were all just figuring it out 
as we went along. It's a machine now, and there's very much a separation of, of church and state, if you will, in, in there as there should be. Um, but it was just this thing where, you know, Randy is who you see. He's lovely. He's nice. He's like, yeah, dog. He, there's no airs that he puts on. And he's a great producer, an amazing musician. Oh my God, like played on so many different albums, toured with Journey. I mean, just sick bassist. Um, Simon is someone who is perceived as being an a-hole, perceived as being, especially at the time, because that was his brand, right? That's why a lot of people were like, who is this British guy and why is he tearing apart these children's dreams? Um, but actually he's one of the nicest people that you will ever meet. and considering his station in life and the fact especially now i mean that like the man wants for nothing has made a global brand in the x factor and and probably a hundred other things we don't even know about yeah um he i remember i was in a, a dressing room with him his dressing room on the second season because i came back to visit or maybe perform or something and i was looking around his dressing room because it was so much bigger than the one first season right because because we were up in the brand and I opened the closet and in CBS, it was CBS television studio, which is funny because we shot a Fox show there. Um, there was a cockroach in the closet. And I said, oh, you got a cockroach. And this man who for a living tears down the dreams of other people, <laughs> right? And that's a, that's a simplification of it. He said, no, 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 don't hurt it. Don't hurt it. It'll be bad karma. <laughs> I wanted to laugh. I was like, okay, buddy, whatever, pal. And then Paula is just, there's a reason why she was the heart of the show. There's a reason why, um, you know, you could go to her and just talk and just kind of, you know, pour your heart out. And that's why we all at some point did that because she, out of all of the three of the judges has been in our shoes, been there, done that toured around the world, been on television, been in the high pressure live moments, had to not only perform, but also be the choreographer and the producer, you know what I mean? So she yeah. is, she was our connection to the industry. And she partially, the reason why she was so kind and, and so giving was because she really truly understood the kind of energy that it takes to just perform in general, much less live and in front of the 30 million people. But, you know, she also understands that um, it, it's a very unforgiving business and that you can be hot one minute and not the next. And so if she can do anything to help just promote and to, to keep uh, our, our help us keep our sanity, that's exactly what she did. Yeah, I can't picture Simon telling you not to kill a cockroach. Yeah, no, he's he's actually a lovely human being, but believe it or not. Um, and he will, somebody, I remember I was standing with him and somebody came up to him and said, how can you, how are you, are you so cutting to these children who come in and have these beautiful dreams and give their all? And his response was so interesting and it's telling about who he is and what he really cares about. He said, if I were to allow someone to come into my audition room and, and they performed and I knew that they didn't have what it took and I knew that they wouldn't ever have it. If I said to them, hey, you know what? You're, you're good 
all you need to do is have some more classes and do da 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 whatever and just kind of soothe their ego if i did that i would be doing them a huge disservice because they would go and they would waste tons of money tons of time tons of effort all things that they couldn't get back on pursuing a dream that would never ever come true and they might miss some other opportunity that came along the way so i cut them off the knees and very quickly so in the hopes that they will stop chasing after something that they will never have and you know make a, a a different choice and i think it's also interesting that you know there are some people who got cut by simon badly but and i don't know i remember who told me this a 100 of the people who make it in this business never give up and you and i both can think of a hundred people who have been told no a hundred times and refused to listen to it and now are household names. Yeah. Yes, yes and yes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash velvet robe. You may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress level is high, your temper is shorter than usual, or even if you're starting to feel strained in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased and who's not going to judge you or take sides. If there's stuff you can't tell your friends or family, this is the place to do it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain for it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Behind the Velvet Rope listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. That's B E T T E R H E L P dot com slash velvet rope. Betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. Who is your favorite charge? Oh, uh, Paula, by far. Without a doubt, because she knew. She knew what we were going through. She had been there, done that. She had been shot out of a cannon, you know, in her own way from going from uh, a, a choreographer and a Laker girl to then. And funny story, when I, when I told her the Michael Jackson, the Jackson 5 story about how when I saw the, the tour, the Jackson 5 tour, that was what made me want to get into the business. She said, you know what, that's really funny. That gig was my first choreography gig after I got out of the Lakers. And like so so you wow. know when you go back to that story it's like all of these things were happening and all these events just seemed to to just come together and and there was synergy in so many levels with my journey into American Idol. Do you know did you ever know like Michael Jackson or Janet? I mean you say your family. Sure, yeah. Um I Met Michael when I was really young on that tour. We actually went out and toured with him. Uh, I went on vacation with Jermaine, his brother. We're like, we were all family friends. And like, I um, never interacted with Michael that much because he was, you know, Michael, he's upon high. Um, however, with Jermaine, with some of the other brothers, for sure, mostly with Jermaine because he had a son who was younger. And like, I, you know, I was really super young at the time. And, and um, yeah, it, it just was... It was so interesting. The last time I saw Michael was just after he came 
home from Vegas on the, you know, this is it tour, which got cut short because of the allegations. And I was at the compound. There was this huge party um, in his honor at the compound, uh, Neverland. And um, I just remember standing back, I mean, backstage, I guess it wasn't really backstage. It was out on the lawn, but it was the backstage sort of area. And it was me, Brandy, Serena Williams. I mean, like all the all folks were there. I was like, what am I doing here? And I looked out and I just saw Michael in the distance and he looked gaunt. He looked pale. And I just I had the opportunity to go like say hi at some point, but I didn't want to because I just wanted to keep my memories. It was weird. I don't know why. I mean, maybe I just wanted to really keep my memories of, of Michael and as he was and all that. And I just, I mean, I knew that he was suffering. Little did I know what would happen to him, you know, over the course of time. But um, it's just a testament to how fame can really, really take you and, and really just, there's so many people, again, that you and I can think of who were taken by fame um, and and uh, who, with the best intentions, wanted to serve at the highest level and give of themselves, but got uh, caught up in so many of the trappings of fame and the, the sort of insulation that is not necessarily healthy that uh, massive fame can bring along. Well, Prince, that's who I think of. Sure, yeah. And Prince was, you know, Prince is a godly man. Mm -hmm. Prince is somebody who was very, very much a believer in the word and, 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 you know, had been Prince, you know, bricks of cocaine, I'm sure Prince, I'm not sure, but I would assume, right, 80s, all that, like, he'd gone there, been there, done that, I'm, I have no doubt in my mind, um, but, you know, towards the end of his life, he was someone who really, truly was devout and uh, was as far as I can understand, doing his best to live right and live well. But again, you know, the need to tour that passionate. I mean, he's someone who literally slept with his guitar when he was learning to pay, play it because he just wanted to keep it close to him and to be so connected to that guitar. And it's that kind of passion that made him tour and tour and tour and tour to the point where his hip started hurting. And then he just was like, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And then his belief systems uh, uh, didn't necessarily allow him to uh, um, or, or encouraged him not to seek certain uh, um, um medical help right yeah. and then he got addicted to the to the painkillers and then you know like uh you know philip seymour hoffman like so many people you know when you don't have your fix for a while and then you go back to getting it and you go back to the same quantity that you were it's called whitewashing when you go back to the same quantity that you used to take before you had that long break or whatever length of break, that is the time when a lot of people will succumb to uh, um, you know, the, the respiration rate going down. Like they'll die because they yeah. think, oh, I used to take X amount, that's fine. But their body is, is not used to it anymore. And, and so they end up uh, either severely hurting themselves, going to the hospital or, or dying. And, and to think, you know, Prince, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jimi Hendrix. I mean, so many people like what would what kind of art and music would we have from them? You know, uh, and Michael, ha had they survived? You know, what what could we have learned? 
And with Michael, you just saw him there and just something told you, like, I could approach, but just it's not going to be yeah. the best interaction. Well, I'm sure he would have been lovely. It just would have hurt. It's like, you know, you see your mm -hmm. hero. You see your hero. And, and again, it's like that eight-year-old kid who pointed up to that stage and said, I want to do that based on the work that he and his brothers did. That eight-year-old kid who was so bitter every single night when his dad said, it's time to go home, knowing that the next number was Billie Jean and Michael was going to throw the hat out into the audience, even though I had like no chance of catching it. Uh, like that same kid wanted to keep his memories, you know, like that. And that makes and, sense. Yeah. And you know, it, it's just, I don't know, it's selfish, really. But, um, you know, Michael will always be for me, uh, you know, one of my heroes, one of the reasons why I got into this business and one of the you know, biggest influences on um, the, the, the music that I sing and, and um, the style that I go about singing it in. What about Janet? Have you ever met Janet? No. No, I don't think so, no. Do you keep in touch with Randy, Paula, or Simon? You know what? I got to see them after 15 years of not seeing them on the Kelly Clarkson show. Kelly invited us all for a season one reunion. And it was it was just like picking up where we left off. It was wild. I mean, it, Paula literally gets better with age. And uh, um, it, it was fun. I mean, no, I don't keep in touch with them per se. I guess I, I could keep in touch. Um, but, you know, they're just awesome people and they've done so much wonderful stuff with their their lives and you know you look at kelly and the amazing things she's done in the music industry and now is doing in the talk show space which is like cutthroat and here she is in there getting the biggest names as deservedly so and then you look at simon who has created the x factor and a bajillion other prod projects um, you know look at randy who's producing who's moved into the health space now and and who's gone and made huge changes in his life, his personal life, his professional life. And then Paula, who is still and forever will be relevant and still out there, still giving her time and her wisdom and, you know, touring around the country before the shutdown, uh, teaching her choreography to the next generation of performers, as well as being on TV as a judge. Um, and again, uh, just, just giving up her time and of her wisdom. So this is awesome. What about in that finale, you know, there you are, you and Kelly and Seacrest is the usual. I mean, we didn't know this was going to become a line and, you know, and the winner is and we pause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is going through Justin's mind at that moment? Oh, God. I hope it's not me. That's what's going through my mind. Now, you would think it was, please let it be me, please let it be me. But no, if you were to rewind about... I don't know, 30 minutes before that moment. I was standing stage right in the first wing with the executive producer at the time, Nigel Lithgow. And we both were watching Kelly beautifully sing what would later become her number one single, A Moment Like This. And as I watched her in her jeans and that red jacket that she wore, I just leaned over to Nigel and I said, you know, if I win this thing, you are going to need to hire some extra security. And he turned to me real quick, shocked, eyes bulging. He said, why, why? And I said, 
because if I win this thing, there's going to be a riot <laughs> because Kelly so deserves to win this show. It, I mean, the die was already cast, right? People had already voted. We were just singing again, right? They were just filling time, right? More, more ad dollars, right? But I just like, I can't, I can't imagine winning this show based on the way I sang it, which was very difficult song for me to sing. I did not enjoy the experience. And then the way she so masterfully sang it and just her journey through Idol versus my journey through Idol, both of which were good, but I was in the bottom three. She was never in the bottom, like all the things, right? Not to mention just who she is in general. And so as I was standing there and Ryan was taking the pregnant pause, I was really just like, the largest part of me was just like, please don't let it be me because this person next to me who I love dearly deserves to win. And that's why when he said, Kelly Clarkson, the first thing I turned and I said was, yes, baby. And I hugged her and it was the perfect ending to the perfect season. Wow. Well, I didn't expect that answer. I mean, was it like you really felt, I mean, I don't know. I don't remember the country being like that. I mean, I thought it was like, do you think the vote came down? Like, well, the you vote know. was The vote was, I mean, relatively close. It wasn't like a, you know, a landslide, but it also wasn't by a hair. It was relatively close, but the, but the choice was clear based on the performances. Because now remember, that's the only season they said, here's the one song, the great equalizer that they're both going to sing. And based on this performance from this one song, you get, you get to choose. Right. Right. And it was so clearly her song, the way she performed it. I mean, it, she made it her song that you know the the choice <laughs> to me was obvious and it, it shook out that way with the audience as well again it wasn't like a landslide but it was it was the right proportion for her journey certainly throughout american idol and she deserved to win and as you can see she's gone on to do amazing things and become more than legitimate as a superstar uh, not only in the music industry, but now in, in the daytime uh, talk space. And you listen, you've had gone on to a great career, too. But, you know, do you you never look back and say that could have been me? I could have oh, had a talk course. show, a oh, gazillion wait. extra dollars. I mean, you might have a trillion, but like Kelly has a right. billion or but whatever. Yeah. I'm exaggerating, oh, look, obviously. I'm a human being. I am human. Of course, there are times that I look back and I'm like, I wonder, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Right. I host things too. Right? I've hosted yes. live red carpets. I, it's like I could I I have the ability to do a daytime shock talk show as well. I just don't have the audience like she does. Right. And so like, yeah, of course, I look back and I think, well, what could have been what would have been. But there's this little voice in my brain that says it would have killed you. You would have been one of those people that would have been a statistic or a story because I didn't have the right mentality at the time. I didn't understand the business. I didn't understand that, oh, as long as I do my job, other people will take care of me. That's what I thought, right? They'll take care of me as long as I'm doing my job. And that's not how the business works. I didn't, nah. un I understood the show part of show business. I just didn't understand the business part and it would have killed me. I would have had my album been successful and I'd been touring around the world. I would have been that guy who was so like, knows the grindstone, I am going to squeeze the blood out of this stone to the point that I would have probably broken down physically, mentally, spiritually. 
Um, and it would have been too much for me because I just didn't understand what it was. And so my journey, while nothing to sneeze at, has been gorgeous because it has been this sort of like huge in the spotlight. And then purposefully, I complete, I left the country. <laughs> Once I was dropped from my record label, my management company, I left the country. I flew to New Zealand and I literally jumped, I bungee jumped. I, I jumped out of an airplane and skydove just so I could feel something again, right? Just so I could get the rush um, because I felt so dead inside based on what was happening. And I pulled back from the industry for years and did little things here and there and performed and you know did an album and little stuff here and there, but never ever tried to jump back into the mainstream. And then I, I fell back in love with theater and Broadway and spent 10 years building an excellent career there. And, and is, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, well, no, I was gonna say, cause I wanna get into Broadway too, but like, is that like when you got dropped by your record label and then is that when you figured it all out? Like, okay, I understand this business more and like understanding, like you mentioned fame and yes, like I think fame is like a, one of the most powerful drugs there is and it will, you will get addicted and it will ruin a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Like, did you figure all that out? Like this thing, fame is so strange on so many levels cause it's a human being and all that. Well, I knew fame, but from an outside perspective, because again, I grew up being the son of one of the first people to start up CNN as an anchor woman, being my mother. Uh, I was the son of uh, a prominent politician in Atlanta, the first black police chief in the South. And so I was used to politics. I was used to the lights and the cameras. I grew up having to be seen and not heard as that generation of Southerner. Um, and if I was to be heard, I better know exactly what I was talking about. And, and I better look someone in the eye and shake their hand and you know squeeze, all those things. And so it, I didn't necessarily learn about fame. I think I learned about fame becoming famous. But that moment when I found out that I was dropped from my record label was was the sort of just before rock bottom, right? It was that moment where I literally put the sheets up over my head and just laid in bed for, I don't know how long. And it was then that I just got eventually down to, because look, I had the fame, I had the money, I had the cars, I lived in a mansion in Bel Air, I had maids service and people cooking and all the things that I thought I wanted all and in the record label and the management, all the things that I had that eight year old who pointed at the stage dreamed of, I had all of them. But then once I was stripped of that dream of being a recording artist on a major record label, stripped of being represented by one of the biggest management companies in the world at the time, I recognized that, oh my gosh, I've got these cars and this mansion and the money and the fame and the stuff, but I'm 3,000 miles away in LA. I'm 3,000 miles away from anybody I, I really think knows, trusts me and like loves me, my family back home. And so what are these cars? What is this fame? What is this money? What is this celebrity? What does all this stuff mean or matter? It means nothing, which is why I put the covers over my head and laid in bed for I don't know how long. And eventually I hit rock bottom. And in that place was where I looked up and I said, okay, something needs to change. I'm gonna get rid of all this stuff and I'm gonna start to build not just my career again, but my life. 
again. And that was when I started learning, okay, what is fame? How can I leverage it? How can I be in it, but not of it? And then I started to sing more. I started to go out and perform more. I started to expand my brand and host live red carpets for the Grammys and the Emmys and do live in studio TV shows and hosting. And, and I just started to slowly but surely over the, you know, the past 20 years, <clears throat> almost 20 years now, build and build and build and build and build momentum back to a place where I feel good. Yeah. I feel confident and I feel comfortable and I'm making uh, the kind of money that I want to make and, and, and I'm making the money. The money doesn't make me. Yeah. I get it. Well, one career high I would think is when you meet Miss Oprah Winfrey and she tells yes. you, you have it. So just humor me for a minute, Justin. Sure. Like, what is that like? Um, you know what? It, it's a little surreal, but I was at, a, at the time living a surreal life. So it kind of just felt right, you know, to be able to be on the Oprah show once is awesome to do it three times is ridiculous. And so when I went on the first time and we spoke, it, it just was, she's, she is everything you would hope her to be. Um, she's kind, she's lovely, she's giving, she is a master interviewer and really gets to the heart of things. And, and she is just a much, as much of a performer as anyone you will see on the stage. And I don't mean that in terms of authenticity. I mean that in terms of delivering her brand and delivering her product, which is, you know, a, a beautiful experience and a meaningful experience. And so it was fun to get on the stage and to play with her and to, to talk with her. And, and she just is, shoots right from the hip. And is Oprah what we all think she is? Like, is there, was there any surprises? Like... Oh, no. Oprah, Oprah doesn't mess around. I literally was like, I, I remember I said, I was ch chit-chatting with her in between the breaks. And I was talking to her because I was at Quincy Jones' house a few weeks uh, before that. And I was talking about uh, Quincy just as an amazing cook. Um, and I was talking about the eating some of Quincy's ribs that he had made. And she looked at me and in the most kindest professional way, she said to me, save it for the interview, save it for the interview, you know? So it's just like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And I didn't feel offended or anything. I was like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> but no, she doesn't pull any punches. Somebody in the audience during one of the breaks was like, uh, cause she'll answer questions and whatnot. And, and somebody stood up, a woman stood up. She said, I would just love to have like just five minutes of your time backstage to talk with you, Oprah. And Oprah said, okay, just as long as you're not going to ask me to like pay for your kid's tuition or like for a house or something like that, we can talk, right? Like straight up, no, no punches pulled, not unkind, but very much like these are my boundaries. Yes, you can have my time, but don't become correct. So she is very much like that. And I'm sure has gotten even more so with, uh, with age and wisdom. And after this woman asked that, did a thousand other hands go up asking for four minutes? No, no, they couldn't. No, I, I think she just, um, either they just, and she said, don't anybody ask me, you get the one, right? Yeah. Again, she was, she was very clear about her boundaries for sure. Well, you also, after Idol made a little movie called From Justin to Kelly. I did. How was that? I mean, Kelly Clarkson recently said, you know, 
she didn't want to make this. She sure. begged to be let out of it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was not uh, her favorite idea for sure. Um, and uh, I mean, for me, I, that was where I'd come from. Right. And so it was a different experience for me because I had dreamed of being in a, a huge film. I had dreamed of, um, you know, singing and acting and dancing and being in a musical because I was that kid who was back in the day, I think it was like maybe fourth or fifth grade. Uh, I was at Bonnie Bray elementary in Fairfax, Virginia. And, um, I was what was called a latchkey kid <laughs> back in the day, right? Right. Those of you who know, know what that means. And so instead of going home one day and some days during the week, our school would have a little after school program for the latchkey kids. And one day somebody wheeled in the old squeaky AV cart with the TV that was strapped down and the VHS player. And they popped in this VHS HS tape and up came West Side Story. And it was the first time I'd ever seen it. And I tell you, I don't remember breathing throughout most of that uh, experience because it sang to me, literally, right? The whole thing just clicked in my brain and made sense. And it was another one of those moments, right? Like that eight-year-old me who was like, I wanna do that. Like it was that same sort of moment. I didn't say I wanna do that, but I knew that it affected me on such a deep level because I went out after that and, and went to um, my mom and dad's car and on the way, the pathway to get to their car, I was doing probably what was a horrible version of the Robin's choreography and, and dancing and moving around and snapping and all the things. And I felt like I could fly when I was doing it. And it was so inspiring that it was the catalyst then for me to want to go on and continue being a part of, or just to just be a part of theater in any way that I could be. So it was a better experience for you than Cal. I loved, I absolutely loved the experience 100%. Um, and I was that guy who, instead of, um, you know, just sitting in a trailer like some people will do in between takes. I was the guy who would go to Video Village and just kind of lurk behind the producer's chair and behind the director and, and just watch the process because I was fascinated by, you know, the, the super techno on the boom, right? I was fascinated by how the sound worked. I was fascinated by how the first AD had this little lanyard with this loop that had this dark lens on it. And what he would do is he would put it up to the sun to see when the clouds were gonna move out of the way so that they could start filming. I was just, I would talk to the grips. I would talk to the, the uh, um, lighting um, folks and the, the, the um, cinematographer. And I just wanted to absorb as much information as I could because I knew instinctively at the time, I knew that if I learned how all of those people worked, that I would ultimately become a better actor, that I would ultimately, if I watched in Video Village enough and I saw how the director was shooting everything, I would know that when I was on the other side of the camera, I could in some certain ways anticipate what he wanted. I could anticipate the, the angles and the, the movements that would look the best. And that's how I operate in all of the things that I do, right? Even in musical theater now, as much as I know about it, when we're doing tech, I love sitting out there 
with all of the different crews and just stopping by all the different tables and just listening, being a fly on the wall, seeing how they make the calls, how they do all the things. Because um, I know that at some point I'm going to learn something that makes me a better performer. And I'm going to learn something that, you know, if people are, or if I get tired of it, or if people get tired of seeing me <laughs> on the stage or on the screen, that I can then transition much more easily into <laughs> the, the, really the more lucrative aspect of our business of, of actually producing and directing and creating um, uh, products and projects. That makes so, sense. I mean, yeah. you're there, you might as well learn something. Yeah, yeah. It's just a passion, really. What about when it came out and then, you know, panned by the critics, one of the mm -hmm. worst movies of all time. Do you think it's a bad movie? No, I don't think it's a bad movie. Uh, I think it is what it is, right? I think it means something to some people who want to watch it with a critical eye. I think it also means something really fun to a lot of people who continue to come up to me and tell me how much they love it, how much they loved watching it, that they went to see it in the theaters, which baffles me because it was like in, like literally in the theaters for five minutes. Um, and it's just this, this really cool thing that I feel like I did and I got to be a part of. And um, I just love more than anything, more than the movie itself, I love how the American Idol experience, that movie, the American Idol tour, the Vegas show that we did, I just love how those experiences brought families together, created memories for people. You know, in and of themselves, you can criticize them all you want and that's totally fine. I, I, I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, but as a whole, so many people come up to me and say, you know, I loved watching that show because I could sit down with my mother-in-law and my kids and my family. And I knew that I would never have to explain anything to my kids. I'd never have to worry about any cursing. I knew that we could all experience this thing together and enjoy it together. And I think that's really at the end of the day, that's truly the legacy of the whole American Idol experience. I could see that. And before we move on from American Idol, I promise I have some other things before we, you know, what was it like working with Kelly? You know, all these romance rumors, was there truth to that? Oh yeah, and we both addressed that in the public uh, f for sure, in the media for sure. I mean, I will forever be a friend and a huge fan of Kelly's. She is one of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my life. And my favorite thing about her is that the Kelly you see on TV is the Kelly you see just walking down the street. She shoots from the hip, she says what she means, and she never pulls any punches. She's, she's just awesome, and she always has been. What do you think of the Idol reboot? Katy Perry, Lionel Richie? Love it. I love it because at the end of the day, unlike a lot of reality TV shows, it is about the kids. It's about talent. It is about who can, who can deliver the best version of their unique performance. Who resonates most with the people watching. And I love that the people watching get to choose who they see on the TV, who they hear on the radio. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. And no matter who does it, I mean, I think it's awesome that Disney, right, and ABC 
has a, a part of it because the the great thing there is that you can now take the people from that show and not necessarily just put them into a, a, a record deal situation I don't know, with Hollywood mm -hmm. Records because I know that's their label, but you can also then you have so many different other properties, the movies, the TV, the radio, the all the other things that Disney comes with um, that are, are just so expansive. So I, I mean, I'm a little jealous of the kids who are on there now because they have so such a bigger playing field to transition transition to after the show. What about, I mean, okay. Do you think shows like that work though? You know, cause like, I mean, still like the voice and I don't just mean mm -hmm. for singing competitions, mm -hmm. but just mm -hmm. like the voice American Idol, you know, I People do know you, are. Kelly, Carrie, but yeah. I couldn't name some other people. That well, that's just a, that's just a part of uh, the evolution of the industry, right? When there were all, you know, 2002 was the beginning of reality TV. That wasn't even a phrase, a coin phrase, barely a coin phrase, right? Right. You have to remember that there was a huge writer strike, and the networks were like, "Well, we need to fill these time slots. What are we going to do?" And all of a sudden these properties came in and they were cheap to shoot and they were juicy and people get, and there was born reality television and it has persisted uh, ever since and and sort of morphed into you know we have we have sitcoms that are about reality television and different sort of situational things that are in, about reality tv it's wild and so the shows work there are just more of them now but the reason why I will always be a huge fan of American Idol is because the proof is there that it works. You know, there's all the winners that we can name from when it was uh, in its first iteration on Fox. There are other folks that maybe we don't see as much because the playing field is so much bigger. But I guarantee you that if you did your homework, you would find, oh, they're on this. They might not be on a show you watch. But they're out there on a show. They're out there touring, right? With the exception of what's happened over the past year, right? But, you know, they might be a, a part of some sort of Disney property. They're active. They're happening. And we, as idols, have uh, just been a part of so many different facets of the industry. And just because you don't know a name or you don't hear about it or read about it in the papers doesn't mean that uh, – there aren't there isn't art great art being made and yeah. that american idol hasn't given someone a leg up uh to to uh leverage that experience in order to do what we love to do which is sing dance act perform and express ourselves right and people are working yes do you know like carrie underwood jennifer hudson some of these i I, I you know i've i've interacted with carrie a bunch of times lovely lovely as can be uh, and just like a powerhouse human being and talent. Um, I may have seen Jennifer, but it's like, we'll we'll bump into each other here and there. And it's kind of like this exclusive club, right? You know, it's like you, you've been through the war together. And it's just, everyone is like, oh, yeah, we always do that sort of, oh, hey, <laughs> you know, you know what it is. And uh, I've just been, I've never met an idol that I didn't like. I've never met someone who has, you know, thrown me any shade. Uh, and it's just this, it's, again, just these the people who end up on this show and who win through and who get to be on those live performances uh, and get to become household names just are 
they're good people, period. They are. Well, you found your way back to Broadway, like you said, full circle. I did. I mean, is that because, you know, even in talking to you here, like you, I could see like you're made for Broadway, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Absolutely. Like, is that really your first true love or is it just like yeah. you're great at it and it is? Oh, like, I you love found it. you found your way yeah. home. I love it. I, you know, I've been a part of a, a lot of communities in my life and there is no community that has embraced me that has taken care of me, that has supported me, that has just shown me so much love like the Broadway community. I mean, admittedly, it, from the media aspect, I had to earn respect. You know, they're like, who's this reality kid coming in thinking that he can blah, 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 blah. The reporter told me that from one of the major publications. But yet, here, six shows later, almost a decade later, um, because of the wonderful properties that I've been able to be a part of because of the wonderful people I've gotten to work with because of the interactions and the love that I have for this community and passion that I have for this art form. Um, I have found a home here. I don't want another home. <laughs> I love and I'm so deeply passionate about musical theater and about Broadway, which is why I love to coach which is why I love to be a part of so many of the, the little things like the, you know, uh, the uh, stars in the alley and the adopt the pets things. And it's just because it's, it's a community. It's yeah. a very small, tight knit, close community. The people who work and work on Broadway are a small handful of people. And we all band together to support one another and to support a community that gives us so much. I know Orfe very well. And Andy, so yeah, and you know them. They're all they they'll you know they'll they'll give you the shirt off your back. Their back, yeah. Ask for it. Do you have a favor? Because like you said, like women on the verge, wicked. Oh, like God. you've been. Is that asking yeah. you like to pick amongst your children? Yeah, exactly. Uh, little Rosemary's baby. Um, I really just think back to my very first experience at how Patty Lapone treated me with such kindness. Uh, and I mean, she was sharp with me too when I stepped out of, uh, I, I would take too long in a scene or something like that. She, she wasn't unkind, but she definitely was, helped me learn the ropes. She took care of me. She was kind to me and she just passed on her wisdom. I mean, my God, that first show, Brian Stokes Mitchell was my dad and played my dad and Patty Lapone played my I'm like, oh my goodness, the things that I learned from the two of them alone are just so valuable because that's the old guard. They taught yeah. me the respect of just one another in the theater and how you speak to another actor and how you interact with the crew and the people. Who, so they taught me the old school way of taking care of when you're a leader, when you are a principal in uh, a company, how do you take care of your company? How do you, how are you a leader in your company? And they taught me the ropes with that. And there's still things that I, I, principles that I employ to this day as a leader in the companies that I go into. And so um, definitely Patty, definitely Stokes. They would be, they would be my, uh, my top fans. And you never had a moment, you know, like when Patty Lapone is giving you tough love, you are always like, this is good. I'm learning something. You never had a like, oh, what the hell's going on? This is oh. tough. Oh, of course. I, I'm, again, I'm human, right? Of course. I'm like, oh my God. There's, there's moments now when I'm just like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. 
I, I have no, I must, I, why am I here? Why am I doing that? There's that voice in, in the back of my head that happens. It happens for all of us uh, in the performance space, especially. Um, but I've just learned to say, to embrace that and to know that that's part of the, the cycle. That's part of the rehearsal process. That's part of the preview process. That's part of the getting it into my bones process, no matter what I do, whether I'm singing, acting, dancing. And I just go, okay, okay, to that voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I give it a little pat on the head and I say, you're, you're okay. And then I'm just move on. And that what? voice will be there, but it just becomes like a radio in the background while I'm actually doing the work. And, you know, maybe I'll hear it every once in a while, but it's not ever present in my mind. That's good. What about like attending the Tony Awards? Like you said, like hosting red carpets. Like, yeah. what is that? Like, do you like that part yeah, of the business? I love doing that. I love doing that. You know, hosting and being on the red carpet and being live and being under pressure is is where I thrive. It's why I created a company called Profit Under Pressure because that's what I love to do. I love the the yes and of that experience because you never know you're going to ask somebody a, a two sentence question and they can give you a one word answer and you got to tap dance right and so that's that's just fun for me because i just again it's that moment where you just let go and you trust that you're going to say the right thing and maybe you have some scripting or a prompter or whatever but ultimately at the end of the day it's it's just you uh, you and your wits versus <laughs> whoever comes up and you gets that microphone put in their face and so that's great. And really at the end of the day, it becomes also about being a time cop too. You know, you look at Seacrest, you look at those people who are just hosts with the mosts and it's a time cop thing, right? You can say what you say, say what you say, but you're really there to direct the audience's attention and direct the show and the traffic and you just get it going. It just becomes a, uh, a sort of really, um, um, I don't want to say paint by numbers, but it just becomes like a effortless thing where you just, you get used to the rhythm of it. How about that? And, and so I love it. Are you shocked? You mentioned Seacrest. Are you shocked at how that Seacrest has become Seacrest? I mean, no, he's huge. No, Seacrest knew what he was doing before he became Seacrest. As a DJ in Atlanta, he was, you know, he did just like everybody else. He worked his way up and he role modeled Dick Clark, eventually became one of Dick Clark's you know, protégés and, and a, a student, a friend of his. And then Dick Clark handed him the reins and and he took over and uh, you know he is everything he is because of who he is and because of his relentless desire to be the best at what he does which is why he is where he is right now yeah it's hard work it is what about you've met everyone in the business a lot of people i mean a lot of businesses what i mean a lot of what are some of like your best a-list celebrity run-ins like who blew you away of just like this person is Jeez. you know definitely quincy jones is one of my my heroes um he's a lovely human being um and just talented beyond measure i mean i've met so i can't even think you really so have many huge people um whoopi goldberg is just funny and lovely and giving um uh who else just down to earth people, people who you are so huge and yet they're just so kind. I can't, again, it's just like, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, he's actually, he's my first cousin, believe it or not. <laughs> he's really? married, he's married to Latanya Richardson Jackson, who is my cousin. No, he's not my first cousin. I think he might be my second or third cousin by marriage. Um, but he is just, 
he and Latanya are so, I mean, Latanya's kin. She's just, they're lovely people. You would be shocked at how lovely these folks are. Um, I was, uh, oh man, I just, I, again, it's just like Mary J. Blige. I was sitting at a table with her and with her sister and, you know, just so many, many weird, wild, wacky sort of, of, of run-ins, yet um, everyone, at least to me, <laughs> It's has nice. been nice and they're nice yeah what about like justin timberlake i know you hung out with lovely him at a human being lovely i mean also considering that he was a child star to not be completely messed up in the head like to be someone who's like well adjusted and kind and talented and focused on the right things and a family man and a good husband and a good father and a superstar on top of that like dude he's amazing he and I have had a couple of interactions and, and they've always been so pleasant and, and just like, he's a top notch dude, 100%. What about any bad experiences? Not that I can think of off the top of my head, no. Really, no one was just like? No one was unkind. It was interesting. Yeah, I just, I don't know, hopefully I don't attract people like that. You're just nice. <laughs> I try, I try to be. What about current music? Like, do you like any current music? I won't hold it against you if you don't. I'm very yeah, not in tune with a lot of music. I am, I am shockingly not in tune with what's happening in music right now. I have made such a huge pivot in my business when it comes to coaching and consulting um, that I have been so in the world of marketing, so in the world of delivering my message to coaches, consultants, uh, and people in the performance space as well as the entrepreneurial space that like I, I barely listen to the radio. I'm like listening to podcasts and I'm just literally after we get off this call, I'm going to do one of my first master classes um, teaching coaches and consultants how to build their online brand to create a flood of coaching clients. I have uh, a book that I'm writing right now, Unshakable Confidence, that is all about how to you know do what it is that we do on the stage and on the screen, um, but do it effortlessly. And I'm, I'm teaching people inside the performance space, but also outside the performance space, how they can develop their own confidence because it's a skill, just like any other skill. Uh, and so, no, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know really what's going on in the music space right now, but I do have a 16 year old daughter who keeps me like somewhat relatively informed. I don't know either. So we're in the same boat. Amen. Do you love, like, how did you get into all this coaching and stuff you do now? I mean, I know it's not such a stretch, like you're in the business, but you know, it's almost like you have well, reinvented this part of your, yeah, I did because I turned, created. 40, I turned 40 a couple of years ago and this this experience I had one time in an audition uh, for a big Broadway show really brought it home to me that, um, you know, I had really been seeing myself as many of us do uh, in this business when we are singers, actors, and dancers. I had just been seeing myself as an expendable asset, right? And I was treated like an expendable asset. I mean, look, I'm not uh, A-list Broadway, but I'm not at the bottom of the chart either. And yet I was treated so poorly in this audition that I questioned, do I want, I had so much of my time and my money wasted working for this that I was like, do I want to even be in this industry anymore if I could be treated like this? And it led me through a series of evolutions in my mind and I realized, okay, I'm 40 now, eventually at some point, I'm not gonna wanna do this or people are not gonna wanna see me. How can I take what it is that I know and 
pay it forward to the people who need to hear it, who aren't quite where I am right now. And so I started developing my coaching. I started developing my message around confidence, around uh, the elements that I saw so many people walking into audition rooms, walking onto stages, uh, missing. That was that 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 one wire that if you just connect it, zzz, the, the whole thing comes alight. Uh, and so then I just really went on a about a three, almost four year entrepreneurial journey now where I learned the business. Remember when I said I was so focused on the show side of show business and yeah. not the business side of business? Well, I really have been focused on the business side of show business. I got the show, right? But it's the business that really is the lasting investment that pays dividends year after year, whether your knees hurt or your voice is tired, you know, that's, that's it. And so I learned how to be, and I'm learning how to be a better marketer, learning advertising, sales, optics, legal, uh, uh, funnels, all the things. And now I'm passing that information on not only to people outside of the performance space, but in, uh, the, in about the next year, I'm going to come back around to our people inside of entertainment and start to give them the education that I wish I had gotten about the business side of show so that when they're not in a show, they know how to create a sustainable living for themselves, doing something that they love that then supports the things that they need to do in order to get into the show that they want to be in. I think that's great because I mean, I think, Listen, I I kind of have both minds. I mean, you obviously too. It's a lot of creative people in the show part of it don't have the business mind, and so yeah. I could totally see a need for this. Yes, and I'm yes. not like I totally get it. Cheers, yeah, in, in a way that that is actually enjoyable and it's not like boring, right? Right, and people need that because this is a business. Yes, one hundred percent. You have been great. Anything you want to leave us with, like that we didn't cover, like any sure. other, you know, I want yeah, you to. If you wanna, yeah, if you want to find out more about me and what I uh, I do, all you have to do is follow me on social media. I'm at Justin Guarini on all the socials. If you can't spell that, just Google the guy with the hair from American Idol. I should pop up uh, at least one or two on the list. And uh, if you want to find out more about uh, the confidence work that I do and the confidence coaching that I do, I actually wrote and writing a book called Unshakable Confidence. And for a limited time, you can actually get a free download of that book as I'm working on it. You can pre-order the free download, a digital download of that book. All you have to do is go to coreconfidencecoaching.com and the book will be yours. I think that's great. It is a business, people. It is a business. And I think realizing that is half the battle. And before we go, you are a total freak of nature, like 42. Like, come on now. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only person that tells you that. I mean, I know you have children. I know you have a wife. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but like, now that I'm talking to you, I would say like, you look like you're 28. So I'll take it. I'll take I, it. I, I still see the same Justin that was on Idol, but I mean that like that is a compliment. Like, thank you very much. That is a very high praise and I take it and I appreciate you for it. From thank like you. a self-respecting gay man, like that's gotta be a high compliment, right? <laughs> that is high, that's high praise. That's Seriously. High praise. I, I respect that and I, I respect you. And thank you so much for your time and your great questions. And, and it's always fun to, to go back and to really dig into the whys and the stories behind the stories that a lot of people don't know about uh, so many of the experiences that, you know, have become uh, pop culture. 
And I always tell people the second time you come back, we don't have to go back. So when you come back, we can talk all about everything. We don't, I promise we will not talk about idle next time. Whatever. No problem. I had a great time doing it. And I look forward to the next time when we can just talk about more stuff. You're awesome. Everyone needs to follow you. And this course sounds great. Keep in touch. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.